Welcome to the teaching ministry at Crothers Creek Community Church. Well, happy Thanksgiving, everyone. People, we're, come on, everyone. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. Thank you. That's good. And uh, happy Thanksgiving to our online audience. For you Americans who are watching or confused, it's okay. We just do it a month earlier, and uh, you can enjoy it in a few weeks. And so we're already having our turkey fill uh, up here. So uh, I think it was a week ago or two weeks ago as we began our series on spiritual gifts, connecting it to our core value as a church that we believe that every Christ follower is called to be involved in loving, joyful, gift-based service. And as we believe God is asking us to struggle and ask for him to give us joy as a community this year, I made sort of a passing comment. I don't know if it was in the morning or in the evening where I said, some of you probably want all 21 gifts and it's just not going to happen to you. Now, when I said that, I had a weird association happen in my mind. It doesn't logical at all, and I'm sure you've had these before too. Immediately when I said 21 gifts, and I made that comment, I thought about a chain, a food chain. Do you know which one it is? Baskin Robbins. It makes no sense at all. Now, I made this statement, and it was 21, and I said, oh, 21 flavors. Then, of course, I realized it's not 21, it's how many? It's 31, right, I, okay, great. So I went on their website this week. I was very intrigued by this. I found out they now have a thousand different flavors that they access all the time. But it was, it was 31 flavors and I was just thinking about that all week and I went, this is a great image for this series. And some of you are going, oh, tiger tail again, are you serious? Okay, yeah, no, even though I had that. I was thinking a lot about it. Now, 31 flavors. I went on their website. Here's some of the classics that they used to do. Chocolate, not so good. Chocolate chip, weak in my opinion. Chocolate chip, cookie dough, fine. Cotton candy, I think we're getting somewhere now. Uh, Almond fudge, mint chocolate chip. That's my wife's favorite. Very, very strawberry, old-fashioned butter pecan. Anyone like that one at all? I I used to like that one. Cookies and cream, anyone? Anyone? No? Okay. Uh, Parlines and cream, strawberry cheesecake. Okay. And then, of course, the best one. The best one. Vanilla, of course, uh, in my opinion. The, the vanilla bean always overcomes the cocoa bean, in my view. So uh, I was hanging out. I was thinking about this. And I said, you know, this is a profound image, actually, when we talk about spiritual gifts. And as I began to think about ice cream parlors or shops, so Baskin Robbins, or if you're in the States, uh, Ben & Jerry's, Haagen-Dazs, if you're lucky. Uh, Dairy Queen's a different deal. I'm talking about hard ice cream, not soft ice cream. I, I began to think that this is one of the few places I've observed adults reverting to children like that. You think about it, when you walk into a place like this, adults get very excited. They pace back and forth, first of all, have you noticed that? And then they get really excited, they're very involved, and I've seen many adults actually put their hands on the glass. Have you seen this? And then what do you do? You, you, you're processing this, you're very excited, you suddenly realize the world's not around you, and then you look, and very Canadian, of course, because I'm sorry, right? There's our phrase, I'm sorry. Could I try that, right? And the person goes, sure, and they give you, you know, the toothpick, toothpick size uh, taste, and, and you try it, and you go, oh, I'm really sorry. As Canadians, I'm sorry. Could I try that one too? Now, by the way, side note, if you're one of the people that tries all 31 flavors and leaves, I have a message for you. Okay? First of all, the people behind the counter hate you. And second of all, just a side note, it's called stealing. Ten commandment issue. So, 
Don't be one of those people, especially if you're a Christian. Okay, so people are going back and forth. And, you know, I, I stopped and I looked. And I, and I went on their website, because I, I don't know this, and I said, I wonder what makes ice cream ice cream. I mean, I get it. It's cold. It's milk. But are there common DNA things to ice cream? And there are. There are probably between two and three ingredients that you find almost in all ice cream. The first one is milk or cream. The second one is sugar. Those are sort of the foundational ones. That's what makes up ice cream, and then they make it cold. You can add all sorts of other things. Diversity comes in later, right? You add chocolate. You add butterscotch. This week, I was watching Jimmy Fallon. I don't know if you know, Ben and Jerry just gave him his own ice cream brand. And really interesting, they've got chocolate-covered potato chips in his ice cream, right? I hear it's good. Don't judge. Don't judge. You haven't tried it. Don't judge. (laughs) You know, it's like you people against Tiger Tail. Just don't judge. So what I again found interesting is that after you move beyond the DNA of what makes up basic ice cream, then you begin to add all this profound diversity. And I went, see, that is a brilliant picture of the church. You've got the whole community and we're all the same. Listen, ice cream is ice cream. It's not a hot dog. It's not turkey. It's definitely not squash. It's ice cream. (laughs) And at the heart of ice cream, you've got milk and sugar. And so the same thing in the local church. Every one of us sitting here, if you are a Christian, we are the same in the sense of we have a common bond. And at the root of our DNA, we've got milk and, well, some of us have less sugar than others. That's a different issue. But we've got sugar. And at its heart is we all share one spirit. When we look at each other, no matter our skin color, our gender, or our background, we all are all Christians We all possess the same Holy Spirit, but then God, in his amazing artistic diversity, decided not just because of personality, but beyond that, because of his kingdom agenda, began to start making us all different flavors for one reason, because you reach more people with different flavors. And that is the heartbeat if you think about spiritual gifts. I can imagine God the Father looking at the church with his nose pressed to the glass like this going, I love all my different types of ice cream because this is how you reach the world. Amen, okay. So think about this at its heart though. The heartbeat of this is as a community, when we begin to start understanding that diversity is the very foundation of God's view for us, and we begin to start appreciating our uniqueness and our togetherness, much more begins to take place in a local church. So spiritual gifts at its heart is a rooting in the idea of who we are and understanding diversity is God's agenda And his agenda is this, and remember this, the local church, Crothers Creek Community Church or any other church, is not on its own mission. We are joining a divine mission. The Father sent the Son. The Father and the Son have sent the Spirit. And we are joining the Trinitarian mission to see the world get redeemed back to what was lost in Eden. Crothers Creek has no agenda except Jesus' agenda. And that's the heartbeat of every local church. And once we see that through the lens of spiritual gifts, everything gets clearer. Now last week, we began to hear for the first time and respond to God as he challenged some of us and affirmed many of us in our own spiritual gifts. As I shared last week, we've broken the gifts down in this church into three categories. 
Another author helped us do this. Love gifts, power gifts, and word gifts. Love gifts, power gifts, and word gifts. Love gifts demonstrate the love of God in practical ways. Power gifts demonstrate the power, the presence, and the very reality of God in a situation. And word gifts clarify the nature and the actions and the purposes of the God that we worship. Love gifts demonstrate love. Power power gifts actually show the community that God is alive and well. And word gifts clarify the one who's working in power and in love. Now last week we spend all our time in the love gifts. We talked through four gifts, if you were with us, here or online. Administration, also called guidance, mercy, helps, and giving. Now today we're going to start dealing with just a few of the word gifts. Specifically, teaching, exhortation, and apostleship. But before I get into those three gifts, every week I'm trying to answer some more questions that are coming out of our community. So here's some questions I want to keep resolving every week. Question one, John... Can I have more than one spiritual gift? Yes, you can. Many of us will only have one gift. Others will have many gifts. And some of them, if you have many, can be made up from love gifts, power gifts, or word gifts combined together. If you do have more than one gift, some will tend to be dominant or primary, while others will end up being secondary. Both are spiritual gifts, but different roles. Question two. John, I heard this a lot. Wonder, wonder if I'm unsure about the gifts I think I have. What am I supposed to do about that? Like, where do I go? Well, here's my answer to you this morning. First of all, talk to God. Just talk to him about it. I'm shocked so many times when I hang out with many of you, all different ages, and I say, but have you talked to God? Oh, no, I can't talk to him. Well, he's the giver of it. I can't help you. I just work for him. Have the conversation with God. Ask him, and then he will affirm truth to you. Second, very important, everyone, surrender your dreams and your agendas for that gift. Surrender the ideas in your fantasy and in your head what that gift will look like when you use it. So when you do it, you'll have pure motives. Also, as you serve in the church, see if the community of faith around you in time begins to affirm the gifts. Never forget that the spiritual gifts are never about our ego or duty, like making God like us more, nor is it about our identity. They are given for the good of the community, and they're called to be used for others, and they produce in us joy. Those of you that serve will tend to see gifts, and you may see them or may not, but others around you will begin to affirm them, and you can talk about it. Lastly, I I just want to mention this. Uh, Halfway through the series, we're going to be providing an online link for our whole community to also take a spiritual gift course above and beyond what we're talking about here, so we can all be tracking together. Last question before we deal with the gifts. Why do I tend to have tension? This is very important. Why do I have tension with certain people who have gifts that are not like my gifts? Now, I just want to say, this is not about personality or gender. This is what I call gift tension. And this is very important here for us as a community. First, many times our tension with others when they have spiritual gifts unlike us is one thing. It's pride. It's pride and it's sin. We've got wrong motives and wrong agendas, and so we go sideways. Other times, it's wrong expectations and the assumption that all people should have the same passion that we do, and we forget we're all different types of ice cream. 
But there's another uh, rarely talked about thing in church that needs to be addressed. The gifts, if you look at them carefully, tend to either be person-oriented or group-oriented. Their emphasis is either to a person or to a group. And that is where we find much of the tension at C4 Church and every local church. Now, because of this, there could even be tension within your own life because you may have gifts in both directions. But here's the point. Hear this this morning, please. This is why most of us should never serve in areas that force you into a place you're never gifted in. You should not be in a key leadership position in this church at all if your primary or all your gifts are person-to-person gifts. You will always end up sacrificing the whole group or the whole church for one person. That's not leadership, and you can never do that. Yet if your strongest gifts are, or your key gifts are community-based, be careful too. Don't serve in one-on-one settings or small groups. You'll end up destroying the very person you're supposed to hug. This tension exists between so many of us, exists even between all sorts of ministries in this church, and we don't understand that much of it is not about personality, it's not even about priority, it's about gifts. Notice in the verses we looked at last week in 1 Corinthians 12, 27, it said this, now you are the body of Christ and each of you is part of it. There is the leveling field right there. We're all ice cream. (laughs) We're all in Jesus. We're all valuable. But then it says, and God has placed in the church first apostles, then prophets, then teachers. Paul starts with all community-based gifts, not person-based gifts, because he's talking about leadership, about founding and building a movement. One is not more valuable than the others, but the roles are different, and some have more authority than others because it's about moving a group of people versus individuals. Now again, I want to say straight up front, if you don't have both, The whole thing gets lopsided and you get destroyed. You need both functioning well, but it's about placing each other in the right roles. So let's start dealing with the next few gifts in our community. Today I'm going to deal with three of them. Teaching, exhortation, and a really interesting one, apostleship. Teaching, exhortation, and apostleship. So let's just start with teaching. Teaching is a spiritual gift clarifies God's truth. If you're a note taker, just write that down. It's Bible-centered. Like I just read in 1 Corinthians 12, 27, first apostles, then prophets, then it says teachers. But Paul talks about this gift in other places. He talks about it in the book of Romans. He talks about this also in the book of Ephesians. Romans 12, 7, if your gift is serving, then serve. If your gift is teaching, then teach. In Ephesians 4.11, it says, So Christ gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip his people for works of service so the body of Jesus may be built up. Now notice that. This is really important. And by the way, if you're already disconnecting because you're like, these are not my gifts, I'm now going to text, stop. Because we need a common script in this church so when we see gift in others, We know how to identify it and support it. Notice in Ephesians 4 what's going on. It says these simple words. That Christ gives these gifts so the church can be equipped. Community gifts equip the whole community to know God personally, to obey God personally, to be encouraged, and help us be sustained both individually and corporately. Here's one of the definitions I came across in the last few weeks. 
A person who has the gift of teaching is one who has the ability to instruct, explain, or expose biblical truth in such a way to cause Christians to understand biblical truth. Now you read that and go, "Uh uh-huh, that makes sense. But as I read that, it's missing something. It's missing a needed punch. It should be that teaching is a supernatural ability to explain and apply the scriptures. See, many people at C4 Church, many of you listening or watching online, you teach. You actually may be teachers. You have the ability to teach. Many of you, let me state this, have the natural or learned ability to teach. You're great communicators. You give understanding. But this spiritual gift is different than all of that. This gift not only communicates biblical truth, but it leads people to life change, to obedience. It supports the lordship of Jesus. It deals with the roots of worldview and motive. It is one key vehicle to bring spiritual life. Spiritual life is not given when you teach math. I'm sorry. Or when you hear a politician give an amazing oration. Both of those things are amazing acts of teaching, but they don't bring spiritual life. This is about God-empowered communication. Teaching, as I would define it, is this. It is the living word, Jesus himself, using his written word, the Bible, by the Spirit of Christ to bring the will of the Father onto earth. The gift of teaching is the living Jesus, the living word, using the written word under the power of Christ to bring the will of the Father. That is not what happens during most university lectures. This is a both intellectual and a highly powerful experience. It is always Bible-centered, and it helps bring and establish the reign and rule of God on earth, in hearts, in people, and even in society. That is why the very first description, if you think about it, of the very first church that ever met in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, reads like this. They devoted themselves to the very first thing, the apostles' teaching. Okay, let's get to some symptoms or cues that might show you that you actually have the spiritual gift of teaching. Here's how one summarized it this way. People around you, large or small, doesn't matter, can be a large group like this or in a small group, will constantly understand truth as a result of what you have to say about the Bible. You will have a tremendous drive within you to understand truth, and you will look for ways to explain it to others all the time. You will be able to discipline yourself to study the Word of God. You will find yourself, here's a key one, overly concerned about meaning, and you will never be satisfied with unclear explanations about the Bible, either your own or others. You will constantly try to learn new communication skills so you can do this better. You will see people, this is key, become more like Jesus in their actions and their thinking as a result of you helping them understand what the Bible teaches People will know God in an ever-increasing depth because of your ability to practically explain explain biblical truth in the terms of the context important that they actually are living in. This is one of God's amazing 21 gifts. And as we learned, I think, a few weeks ago, every one of us is going to be held accountable by God when we die for using the gifts or choosing not to. But what's different about the gift of teaching is this. It's both exciting and it's actually quite scary. This is probably the only gift in Scripture. Well, there's probably two. But one of the key ones that says, if you have this gift, there is a greater warning to you. 
James, Jesus' half-brother, wrote it this way in James 3.1. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers and sisters, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. Just let that sit in for a moment. This is talking to Christians. This isn't about heaven and hell. But there is a grand responsibility when it comes to teaching because teaching forms thinking. Thinking forms worldview. Worldview forms action. Action forms character and the life change or the lack of it the world needs. It's very clear that if you have the spiritual gift of teaching, there's a high account and you will be having a different conversation with Jesus, not because you're more important, but because of role than other people will with different gifts. Now, this is one of my stronger spiritual gifts, I hope. That's why I'm here right now. <laughs> and this actually led me to my personal life verse. I love this verse because it brings home to me and brings home for all of us here and online the reality that I started speaking about for two weeks, that our gifts need to be used, but as our gifts are given by God, our character needs to be growing in ever stronger measure to balance it out. My life verse is 1 Timothy 4.16. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them because if you do, you'll save both yourselves and your hearers. Why I love this verse is notice what happens. Paul says to young Timothy, watch your life. Watch your character. Watch your motives, how you think. Watch how you use your body, how you have sex and who you have sex with. Watch the, all the things, money, sex, power, how you deal with reality. Watch your life and your doctrine. See, what's so important that we as a community need to grasp on is this. God gives great power and empowerment to many of us in spiritual gifts. But our character needs to slowly and surely catch up so our gifts are not dismissed by others. This verse is a great challenge to me to watch my life because I understand more and more that my ethics and my life are connected to how I teach, what I teach, and who I am. The gift of teaching is an amazing gift. Do you have it? Before I leave this gift, I want to jump ahead and talk about the difference real quick between prophecy and teaching. Now, we're going to spend a whole Sunday on prophecy and trust me, whether you come from a church that doesn't believe in prophecy or you think you're prophesying 24-7, show up. It's going to be an interesting hee-haw day for our whole church. But I just want to say up front that the teaching gift and the prophecy gift are not the same. I grew up in a church that didn't like prophecy, so they said they must be the same thing. They're wrong. So we're going to spend a whole week, but let me just give you a division here. So if you're a teacher here today, you're going to know. This is what Wayne Grudem wrote. Amazing work on this. As far as we can tell, he wrote, all of the New Testament acts of prophecy was based on a kind of spontaneous prompting by the Holy Spirit. And it used the word revelation, small r, not Bible. Unless a person receives a spontaneous revelation from God, there is no prophecy. By contrast, if you read the New Testament, no human speech act that is called teaching or done by a teacher or someone who is teaching is ever based on the word interesting, revelation, small r. Rather, teaching is just an explanation of the Bible. Prophecy has less authority than teaching. And prophecies in the local church always need to be subject to the teaching of the Bible. So the distinction is clear. If the message is a result of conscious reflection on a text of the Bible containing interpretation and then application, that's teaching. 
But if a message that is being reported is something that God has suddenly brought to the mind and is being checked out by the community, then it's prophecy. Two very different gifts. So my question this morning is, do you have the gift of teaching? Because if you do, oh, how we need you. For the world is a postmodern, murky world where truth is gone. And we need teachers to stand with integrity and say, this is what the word of God actually says. Go and live it out. That's the gift of teaching, and it's a gift to all of us. Okay, I'd like to go to the next one now. I know these are different than usual sermons. I'd like to talk about exhortation. Maybe you've done the church scene for a while. You've called it the gift of encouragement. Now, the best and strongest reference of this comes from Romans 12, verse 8. It simply says this, if your gift is to encourage, then go encourage. Now, unlike teaching, which clarifies truth, think about this, encouragement focuses on applying biblical truth. At its heart is to help others live out faith practically. Now, I just want to stop and say, I actually believe observationally that this church has many people with this gift, but many people have misunderstood it, so they've written themselves off. Here's how one person talked about exhortation. The gift of exhortation is the capacity to urge people in action in terms of applying the Bible, to encourage people generally with biblical truths, or to comfort people through the application of truth to their needs. Basically, in my observation, there are three expressions of this gift among Christians. And this is really important, again, because some of you actually have this gift, and you've been told by others you don't, but you do. So it takes sort of three forms— the first one is to confront people in a really gentle way. So it's not hitting the sheep, it's hugging the sheep, okay? The second one is encouragement, and the third one is comfort. So here's my basic definition. If you have the gift of exhortation, you've got like the gift of mercy, and it's with like, you know, it's got jalapeno, it's got a kick to it. So let me explain. When, when I hang out with someone with the gift of exhortation, with the gift of encouragement, especially the exhortation side, this is what happens. I feel unbelievably boistered. I feel really encouraged. And then I walk away and I do this. I think I just got hit. And I didn't know I got hit. How did they do that? I feel so good about myself. See, encouragement comes along and says, John, love you. Love what you're doing. So encouraged. God bless you. Love who you are. And by the way, could you just consider this? Okay, I'm hugging you. Blessings. Out you go. You know, do you know what I'm talking, you know people like this? That's exhortation. It's like mercy with a uh, uh, all at once. Now, encouragement, which is the same gift, are just people that write letters all the time, and they call you, and they email, and they text, and everything they say to you is just like, oh my goodness. Now, there's one person, I won't say their name, some of you will know, super gift of encouragement in our church. Her gift is through stickers. She writes amazing letters and encouragement stickers everywhere. You know who you are. I get more stuff from that woman in my life than any other person in this church. It's the gift of encouragement. Encouragement is a powerful gift. Whether it takes more of the exhorter or the comforter or just encouragement, it's a key thing to help us keep going. Uh, someone put it this way in a different way. The gift of exhortation involves the supernatural ability to come alongside to help people to strengthen the weak, to reassure the wavering, to buttress the buffeted, to steady the faltering, to console the troubled, encourage the halting. Just as the Holy Spirit is an instrument of help, so the Spirit uses these people to build us up. 
Now, what's so amazing about this, I learned this week, is this. That both the Holy Spirit and Jesus both have a name connected to this gift. In John 14, 16, it says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. The word counselor is comforter. It means exhorter or encourager. In 1 John 2, 1, it says, My dear children, I write this to you so you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Now, what's beautiful about this, the word advocate has the same idea as encourager. Here again is what one pastor wrote about the symptoms that you might have if you have this amazing gift. First thing, I love this. People generally react strongly for or against what you have to say to them all the time. You frequently find yourself giving advice to others to do this or that, and not in a nagging way. You often find that you have a word to share for someone specifically in need, and that person always receives it in a, like a comforting word from God. People frequently confide their inner thoughts to you unexpectedly because they have a sense about you and they're comforted by the process. People like to be around you because you often cheer them up just by your attitude or your demeanor. You often have a sense of urgency to get something done and you're willing to communicate that urgency to others. You love to share with anyone a truth from a passage in the Bible that means something to you. You're not satisfied. This is interesting. You are not satisfied with a superficial acceptance of truth. You want people to see that truth worked out in their lives. You enjoy sharing stories about God's involvement in your life because you know that God always uses stories to encourage other people. Now let me just add something about this gift. And it's important. Number one, it can be used by teachers. Some teachers have the gift of exhortation and teaching together. But most of the time, this gift is to small groups or one-on-one. It is a person-centered gift. And the best example in the Bible of this, everyone ready, is a guy we talked about last week. In Acts 4.36, it reads like this. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, who the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. Now, not only did he have the gift of giving, but he had an amazing, strong gift of encouragement. If you know Barnabas' life, this will make sense to you. He was the very first one that when Paul became a Christian, mentored Paul, encouraged Paul, introduced him to the church leaders, the very leaders that Paul was trying to kill and shut down, and Barnabas said, no, no, guys, the real deal. He was one of the first ones to accept non-Jewish believers, and he went to bat for them. He was in Antioch when we were first called Christians. He knew his role of encouragement and exhortation was a secondary gift. And you can see this in the book of Acts. He didn't have a pride issue. When the first missionary journey happened, it was done by Barnabas and Paul. By the second one, it was done by Paul and Barnabas. But the most profound example of this, which is going to be like a a big bomb dropping on some of you today, is found in Acts 15, 16, where Paul and Barnabas had a huge argument with each other over an emerging leader called John Mark. Sometime later, Acts 15, 36, Paul said to Barnabas, you can see this unfolding, let's go back and visit believers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord to see how they're doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. And Paul did not think it was wise to because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and not continued to work with them. They had such a sharp disagreement, Barnabas and Paul, heavy, heavy leaders, that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus. Paul chose Silas and left. Now, I love this because this gives me hope that when it happens in all local churches, God's still going to do his thing. Amen? Yeah, and it leads me a stronger amen. We're going to survive. 
<laughs> but notice the conflict was not just about personality. It was about gifting. I love what one person said. Paul thought of the work, notice, group. Barnabas thought of the man, person to person. Paul operated on the principle, why would we endanger a whole work by this guy who failed us? Barnabas says, why should we not give this promising young man another chance? Who was right? We'll be debated throughout time. Actually, probably the attitudes of both men were needed to do the in-depth work Mark needed. Paul's refusal made Mark realize he needed to actually redeem himself, but Barnabas' encouragement showed by his willingness to accept Mark and even rupture his friendship with Paul made Mark badly want to prove himself. Barnabas' willingness to give Mark another chance helped rescue him. Now here's the profound thing if you know the story. John Mark actually in the end becomes Peter's traveling companion. And later, Paul even says, send greetings to John Mark. He's a great worker. But then this author summarizes it so well, right? He said, should we not realize this though? That if Barnabas had not used a gift of encouragement, we'd be missing half of the New Testament. Through his salvaging of Mark, we got the gospel of what? Mark, the earliest gospel that, by the way, Matthew and Luke used. And not only that, because of his mentorship of Paul, we got 13 of the New Testament books. Over half of the New Testament was written because one guy with the gift of encouragement gave his life to two other guys, even gained and lost friendships, and all of us are sitting in Ajax because of him. That's the power of encouragement. It does not take center stage, but it ripples through life, ministry, and eternity. Is this you? If it is, we need you. If there is one truth in our culture, like I said last week, we don't have a lot of mercy and we sure don't have a lot of encouragement. God use you if you have this gift. Last gift, and then I'll be done, is apostleship. Now, this is tough, everyone. Everyone's thinking caps on. If they're on or eight, tighter. Okay. There are two types of apostles in the New Testament. That's why this makes it difficult. There's an office and there's a gift. The office is like elder or deacon. It was a special office Jesus gave only to some. It doesn't exist anymore. It's gone. It's the only thing that's gone. But the gift of apostleship does exist. So here's how it breaks down. And if you don't get all this the first run, just go back in the podcast and digest this. The office of apostle had the same authority as an Old Testament prophet. These men could speak and write the scriptures. It was the 12 apostles plus Paul. They had been with Jesus since the beginning. They had a personal call from Jesus. They were witnesses to Jesus' resurrection, and they laid down the foundation of the teaching we teach in this church today. You get this in Acts chapter 1, and I'll just summarize it this way. It says that after the apostles returned, it says here's who's present. Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, son of James, son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, Judas, son of James, different Judas. And they were all together and says they're praying. Then Peter gets up, Jesus' mother is there, all the women that were following were there, and said, listen, Judas Iscariot committed suicide. And we need to replace him. And then we get this in verse 21. Therefore, it is necessary to choose one of the men who've been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus was living among us. From John's baptism to the time we saw Jesus taken up in front of us. For one of these must become witnesses. That's the criteria for a capital A apostle. So you've got the 12 plus Paul, and Paul's story is a little different, and you can read that. 
Now, if that was the end of the story, I'd shut down and we'd move on. But that's not the end of the story. Because many other people in the Gospels are called, I mean the epistles and the Gospels are called, apostle. But they don't match the criteria that Peter has right there. They have the gift of apostleship. Timothy, Silas, Barnabas, Andronicus, a woman named Junius in Romans 16, are all examples of those that have this gift. So, the office is done. The gift is alive. So the question is, what is this gift? And by the way, everyone, this is a very important gift. Many people say that this gift is really about creating new ministries. You could call this church planting, cross-cultural ministry, or starting a parachurch ministry. Here's how one person wrote it. The gift of apostleship refers to a special ability for a leader with authority to create new ministry structures and appoint leaders in them. It's about pioneering efforts. He continues to say that if you've got this gift, you're going to have a special kind of authority from God and people around you in the church are going to recognize it. The gift can operate within one own culture or other cultures. Now, usually it's been associated with missionaries in the older days because it was pioneering. Now, I tracked with this, but it still seemed to be missing something. So then I went back and I found a completely different definition. Everyone ready? goes like this. The gift of apostle is the special ability that God gives certain members of the body of Jesus, which enables them to assume and exercise authority or general leadership over a number of churches in, a, in spiritual matters that is spontaneously recognized and appreciated by those churches. In other words, people with the gift of apostleship are not on staff in these other churches, may not even belong to the same denomination, and yet when they show up, people listen, they welcome their input, and they almost have a, a spontaneous authority. And the key phrase is welcomed, recognized, and appreciated. <laughs> so the question is, John, what is it? Is the gift of apostleship those who start new ministries, or church planting, or cross-cultural ministry, or is it some Christian leaders that just are able to do huge influence over a lot of different groups? Everyone ready? Yes. The answer is yes. The gift of apostleship is rooted in the idea of being given unusual authority and being sent or commissioned by Jesus and it being affirmed. It could be transcultural. It could include missionaries or church planters or those who start new ministries. But it also could actually be people who have beyond, sort of spiritual authority beyond their own context. One way maybe to put it is this. Those in the second way almost are like bishop without authority. They, they don't have the title bishop, but when people show up, they're like, wow, that's a respected Christian leader. I really need to listen. As one person said, it's about being sent and commissioned. It's based in a local church, but actually operates far beyond that local church. Here's some of the cues that you may have if you have this gift. You have a strong, sense of God, a strong sense of a call by God to establish new works. A strong confirmation on the part of the leadership of your local church, of which you're part of, to say, yes, that's you. A forceful personality which can trust God to do what is necessary in unusual ways so works can be founded. A personality that deeply understands the nature and purpose of church. You have people that are attracted to your leadership. You can sense what God wants to do, and you're not afraid to try anything. You have a drive within you that cannot be satisfied apart from seeing people who don't know Jesus be enfolded into that community. And I would say again, in a different way, an unnatural respect or authority to speak or influence other churches, 
other Christian leaders or organizations, though you don't have title or formal influence. You're not getting a paycheck because of this. So the question is, is that you? This is not a gift that everyone will have, but it's a key gift. So those are the three gifts we've got this morning. We've got apostleship, we've got teaching, and we've got exhortation. So what we're going to do, like we're doing every week, is simply this. We're going to respond. Now Dan's going to come up, and the team's going to get ready. And like we said, and this is to you online too, we want to publicly affirm every person that has this gift. So here's how this works. Uh, Number one, really important. If you would like one of these gifts, you're always welcome to ask. Uh, But you have to have the attitude that you're willing to say, God, if you'd like to give me one of these gifts, I will receive it. But if you say no, I'm going to be okay. Number two, you may say, John, oh my goodness, when you're talking, that's me. Then come forward and say to the leadership, I have the gift of teaching or apostleship or exhortation. And we're going to pray that you'd have the character and abilities to serve in those gifts. Here's another thing. Maybe you have those gifts, but you're bitter because you want other gifts and God gave you these ones. Then come and repent. We had people do this last week. And here's another thing. Maybe you've misused some of these spiritual gifts for your own purposes. This is very important. You can misuse a spiritual gift for your own ends. If you say, you know, I'm a teacher and I'm an apostle or an exhorter, but you know what? For example, I've been encouraging people, but really it's to feed my own ego so I feel good about myself and they like me. You need to come repent. Because gifts are for the, are for the common good. Now, the other thing I just want to say is this. Last week, we had over 200, 250 plus people in both services come forward and get prayed over. And if you were not here last week, but you watched or listened online, and you said, John, my gift is mercy, or my gift is administration, or, or helps, or giving, then you're welcome to come forward during this response time too. But here's the last caveat I want to give. So elders and pastors, if you can get up and just come down here, that would be great. And for you online, we'll pray for you in a minute. Okay, so elders, go, you can do this. Pastors, um, this would be good. Um, some of the administrative people last week got frustrated because it wasn't being administrated to their view of how it should be going, which I thought was hilarious. Uh, we had 250 people, and they're like, excuse me, this is not being administrated well, so we need to change this. Uh, oh, God, give, give you all patience, patience, all of you administrators. Um, no, that's fine, and it's good. But one thing I just want to say is we, we have asked uh, people to be prayed over by the leadership, not because our prayers are special or better, because this is about the leadership affirming the gifts and is also about submission. Now, some of you just started laying hands on people. Now, that's fine in some contexts, not in this context, because this is about submission and the leadership doing what it's called to do. Now, some people came forward last week and asked if they could, on behalf of the leadership, lay hands. That's fine. But this is an important thing that we need to do right here. If you wanted to have a leader prayer of you and it didn't happen last week, you're welcome to come back and do that. And so um, we're going to ask you to stand. We're going to sing. Uh, we worked that out too. This is going to be a little bit quieter this morning uh, so we can bless you more. But why don't we all stand? Let's pray over the gifts and we'll see who comes forward. And we're just really excited to see what gifts God has given us. Well, first of all, Jesus, thank you for your word. That's real and true. We thank you that you've given the gifts of apostleship and teaching and also exhortation in our community. We pray for those online right now in Jesus' name that have these gifts. 
And we really just ask uh, right now that you'd give them the character they need, the submission they need, the, the places to serve. And we also really pray in Jesus' name for just the power of Christ on them. And Lord, we pray the same for our community. In the name of Jesus, thank you for who you've got with us. Uh, help us to uh, support them and build them up. But we do pray our greatest prayers for the character of the Spirit and also not only the character, we actually do pray too for a new empowerment in each of these people. We ask this in Jesus' name. Uh, amen. Thank you for joining us. For more teaching, info, or to give financially, please visit us at our website, carotherscreek.ca.